0: Holy Worship. Join me, your host, Robert Randall, as we delve into biblical instrumentation and music history to discover the sounds behind the words of our Savior, Yeshua Messiah. this show may not be suitable for some children. Listener discretion is advised.
1: are you! We are three wise men. What? We are three wise men. Well, what are you doing creeping out of the couch at two o'clock in the morning? That doesn't sound very wise to me. We are astrologers. We have come from the East. Is this some kind of joke? We wish to praise the infant. We must pay homage to him. You drunk! Come on out! burst him here with tales about Oriental fortune-tellers! Come on out! No, no, we must see him. Go and pray! somewhere else is... Go oh. on! We were led by a star! Led by a bottle of all light. Go on out! Well, we, we must see him! We have brought presents! Out! Gold, frankincense, marth! Well, why didn't you say he's over there? Sorry the place is a bit of a mess. By what name are you calling him? Oh, Brian! We worship you, O Brian, while Lord and over us all. Praise unto you, Brian, and,
0: and to the Lord our
1: Father. Amen. You do a lot of this then. What? This praising. No, 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 no. Uh, well, um, if you're dropping by again, do pop in. And thanks a lot for the gold and frankincense. Uh, but don't worry too much about the myrrh next time, all right? Thank you. Goodbye. Oh, well, wasn't nice? Upward, man. Look at that! <laughs> here! Here! here That's In the book of Ezekiel, he wrote, The angel brought me to the gate of the house of the Lord, and I beheld women weeping for Tammuz. Then said he unto me, Thou shalt see greater abominations. And he brought me into the inner court, where about twenty-five men had their back toward the temple, and they faced the east and worshipped the sun. Sun worship and the worship of Tammuz started in ancient Babylon. Nimrod built a city that was the center of his world government in which he was proclaimed God. His kingdom bore totalitarian rule over the people, reducing men to slaves in his political, economic, and religious system. According to ancient Jewish writings, Nimrod was slain by Noah's son Shem and his body parts were scattered throughout the land of Shinar. Nimrod's devoted followers erected a tower that reached into the heavens, a huge obelisk like we see here in Caesarea and in Washington, D.C., Heliopolis, Egypt, Rome, London, Paris, and New York City. This phallic symbol is the image of the uncircumcised penis of Nimrod, the father of Babylonian sun god worship. The creator calls this the image of jealousy and an abomination. This Roman-created abomination, found recently in its proper state, toppled over and in pieces, was rebuilt in the summer of 2001. In the month of its completion, a gay pride parade was held in Tel Aviv, a befitting inauguration for this obelisk re-erection, and in the month of Tammuz, no less. Nimrod's widow, Beltas, also known as Semiramis, not willing to let the kingdom slip through her fingers when her husband was killed, proclaimed that Nimrod had ascended into the heavens, was now the sun god, and that he had impregnated her with the rays of the sun. At least that was her story. Her child was born on the winter solstice on the ancient calendar December 25th.
0: And a belated happy Hanukkah and a Merry Christmas to everybody who celebrates in the Hebrews messianic world. The reason why I started this show with... Some parody, as well as, um, as well as some of the common teaching that we have come to understand in the Messianic community, is because we're laughed at. We are absolutely laughed at for believing why what, what we believe, and I'm going to go into detail here in a moment. At the same time. When I say these things that I'm saying tonight, I want you to understand that I'm saying this out of love and out of genuine concern for the way in which we present the material that we're presenting. Because on the one hand, while we are showing caution towards pagan tradition and sincerely doing so, on the other hand, we are not paying attention to the message of what our Christian roots provided through the tradition of Christmas. And for that matter, the traditions that we ourselves accepted through Purim and Hanukkah. So I am really asking my brothers and sisters in the body to sincerely pray over this. And pray about this, because I'm going to speak to some very personal and very life-changing events that hopefully will help you understand why I'm talking about this to such an extent. To begin, I need to go back to when I was probably about six or seven years old. At the time, I was being raised Jehovah Witness. Now, if you understand anything in Jehovah Witness, it's very similar in the understanding of Hebrew Roots theology. We believe in the kingdom of God. We believe that he has a kingdom that's going to come for us, that Father God, Jehovah, Yahweh, Yehovah, Yahuwah is going to provide that kingdom for us. And Jesus Christ will rule that kingdom. Are there theological issues with Jehovah Witnesses? Absolutely. I'm not here to get into those today. One of those belief systems is that holidays are pagan. Now, at the time, as a young kid, having absolutely no context or education in what this was, I remember I watched the uh, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer claymation special one day. And my mother came out in the living room and saw me watching it and said, Turn that off. That is pagan. And I remember being absolutely shook to my core. Here I was watching what I thought was a perfectly innocent cartoon, not understanding why she was saying these things. Fast forward 20 years later, when I enter into the Messianic community and I pick up the book, Alexander Hislop's The Two Babylons, and I begin to read the content that most Messianics were quoting from, like Michael Rood at the beginning of our presentation, like the late Doc Marquis in his Pagan Holidays video, like many other faithful Bible teachers that we have come to know and trust, um, Captain Dan and Maria, who were early pioneers on Heber Nation Radio, um, and many sincere others. You know, um, Avi Ben-Mordecai and his wife did a, a great presentation on the pagan origins of the holiday. And for that... They should be commended. I'm not disparaging that. Please understand this. But I want us to understand that the source, one of the source materials that we are using, the two Babylons, is a laughingstock amongst Christians and people in valid academic practices who know that Alexander Hislop, for his zealous. Presbyterianism against the Roman church was horribly bashing history and making up figures like Semiramis, of which there is no pagan deity or consort to Nimrod that we can find historically the only historical Semiramis it was a queen in Africa you can look this up in Wikipedia it's not hard furthermore the idea that Hyslop presents that every pagan deity has a, a portion in, in, in Babylon from the Norse gods, the Egyptian gods, the Sumerian gods, all the gods that are Roman Catholic incarnations eventually point to Babylon. This, while on the surface sounds really good, and credible and is an easy thing to stomach is absolutely one of the worst historical fallacies that we can, uh, that we can stomach and Christians laugh at us for it and sincere academic, both believing and secular scholars in the scriptures. Okay. Bart Ehrman, the late Dr. Michael Heiser, they laugh at us for it. It's no different than us believing in in the writings of Akira S, who writes that um, that there are UFOs and Moses and Elijah and that these things are be are to be believed that aliens are at the Bible. That is why we are considered a laughing stock. And the more that I analyze the sincerity of people exposing the pagan beliefs behind Norse mythology. For example, Grimfrost, which is a uh, a Norwegian Viking manufacturer, they make Viking horns and armor and helmets and all sorts of things. They did an excellent two to three minute presentation on the pagan origins of Christmas from a Norwegian perspective, which, you know, has some early ties to Germanic Connections, Odin and and St. Nicholas and his Krampus, etc. I'm not going to belabor that. The point being is that while there are those dangers, I think we as a community are missing out on the bigger picture of what is the message behind what our new covenant brethren, Christians, are believing. Yes, do they use pagan tools to decorate? Sure. Okay? Phrygian caps, Christmas trees. I'm not here to belabor that. We know what what these things are. Okay? But more to the point, the problem is is that we are removing ourselves from the root of what salvation is supposed to be about. Okay. Now, in my own research in this area, I want to speak a little bit to what I found in terms of Christmas as a holiday. First of all, most of us consider the the Gregorian solar calendar. And we do that from a Roman Catholic Church perspective, i.e. because most of us are approaching this from a Alexander Hislop, Babylonian, everything-is-pagan perspective. However, I want us to approach this from another perspective. I want us to approach this from the perspective that we know nothing about the pagan origins of the mistletoe or the tree, etc. I want us to approach this as if we are learning this afresh as new baby Christians. And I want us to give credence for the time being to allow the church fathers to have their say in this. And the reason that I want us to hear this is because this is no different in the core message of what we hear in a Christian church than it is in Purim or that it is on Hanukkah. Okay? So let's take a moment and listen to what the Church Fathers have to say about this for a moment. Now, most of, while we understand Western Christians celebrate on December 25th, Eastern Orthodox circles, that's Russian, Greek, etc., Um, still still celebrate Christmas according to the Julian calendar on January 7th. Okay, and so are they pagan for doing that? The Episcopal Church uses their own calendar to celebrate Christ's birth on January 6th. Are they pagan for doing that? The Ethiopian uh, Church celebrates on January 7th. Syriac Church, Antioch, observes the 25th of December. Others, like Syrians, celebrate on January 6th. Coptic Christians, Church of Alexandria, celebrates on December 25th on the Julian calendar, which corresponds to the 29th of Kiask, Ky- 29th of the ancient Coptic calendar. Other countries use different trees to observe holiday beliefs. India uses a mango tree. Communist countries. With foreign religions, celebrate Christmas as a commercial event to decorate homes and sing secular songs. We d- we're not just the only Western school in town that can claim everything is pagan. Okay, we have to be a bit more open-minded than what we have we have been fed in our Alexander Hislop to Babylon's defense of pagan Christianity, as it were. Okay. Let's begin with the patristic church fathers. Those of later generations justify the date and celebration. Certainly, the great theologians of the past had their disagreements on this subject as well. One church father, Origen, very controversial figure, circa 185 to 254 AD, claimed that birthdays were celebrated to pagan gods and that it would be wrong to uphold Christ's birth, similar to those who were honored as kings in scripture like Pharaoh and King Herod. Clement of Alexandria, circa 152-215 to 215 A.D., disagreed, stating that Christians should observe on May 20th, while others believe that the Lord's birth should be celebrated on other dates. Hippolytus argued for January 2nd. Polycarp, a Latin treatise written in the year 243, argued March 21st in the belief that this was the day in which God created the sun. Augustine, the first Catholic in a modern sense, decreed, We hold this day holy, not like the pagans, because of the birth of the Son, but because of him who made it. The Rudolph date, as we know it today, was given place due in part to Origen's claims that pagan gods and the church's stance on December 25th. Two festivals were prominent in pagan festivals, uh, Natalus Sol Invictus, a Roman festival celebrating the birth of the unconquerable son Mithras, an Iranian celebration of the Sun of Righteousness, which was also celebrated by Romans, and the Winter Solstice, which was celebrated a few days later. This led to the coupling of the feast by the Roman Catholic Church. Thus, in 150 AD, Pope Julius I began the celebration of Natilius Christi, Christ's Nativity. A Vatican website goes on to explain further. We're not going to go into that. But I wanted you to hear that even church fathers from... You know, third century up is essentially what we're talking about here. First to third century um, are essentially people who disagreed on this issue, okay? This is no different than the shape of the earth or which calendar is correct, okay? I'm sorry. This does not have... A solid answer. Not until he returns and rules and reigns with a rod of iron, folks. Other church fathers who deem the Lord's birth an important celebration are quoted as follows. Teacher of children became himself a child among children that he might instruct the unwise. The bread of heaven came down to earth to feed the hungry. And that was Sadril of Jerusalem. The Lord did not come to make a display. He came to heal and to teach suffering men. Athanasius of Alexandria. For next to God we worship and love the word who is from the unbegotten. The ineffable God, since also he became man for our sakes, that becoming a partaker of our sufferings, he might also bring us to healing. Justin Martyr. God, the word was made man for this reason, that that very nature, which had sinned, fallen, and became corrupt, should conquer. The tyrant had received it. John of Damascus. Christ in flesh, rejoice with trembling and with joy. With trembling because of your sins, with joy because of your hope. Gregory of of Nazizen. Reformer Martin Luther believed Christmas should be celebrated and taught to his children the meaning of Christ with a Christmas tree. Contemporary scholarship late Dr. Michael Heiser calculations and research led to Revelation 12 in association with, association with astronomy to look into scripture and Second Temple era writings to come to the to the date of September 11th as Jesus' birthday. The information detailed in Heiser's The Naked Bible podcast December 25th of 2016. A defense on the question of the date being pagan as well as the practice of Christmas can be found the following year same date. So, because I hear no one in the Messianic community quoting these church fathers and their differences, I had to bring this up. Because everyone points to the pagan, the paganism of it. And I'm hoping by reading these quotes, it gives you some food for thought that while this is a tradition, there is biblical precedence in what is being said here. This is not paganism for the sake of the message that is being conveyed on these christmas services. period. The hearts of these believers is sincere in the message of salvation within a tradition of the birth of the messiah, just as our redemption and the rededication of the temple is no different with our pseudo-historical books of the four Maccabees volumes. And yet we hold that as as traditionary holiday gospel truth when we read these very violent stories. And yes, the the story of Christ in Luke chapter 2 is also a very violent story, if you recall the massacre of of the infants in Bethlehem. So I'm asking my brethren to re-examine the way that we are conveying our position on Christmas. We are focusing too much on the paganism of the traditions, and we are not focusing enough on the message of salvation because he came, Yeshua, came to save us from our sins. Yeshua, Yoshia. Gospel of Matthew, Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew gospel of Matthew. That should be common sense to anyone who is in this movement. And that is what is most important. That is where the grace and the love and compassion needs to come in here. And I can hopefully move your hearts to realize, oh my gosh, brethren, we have sinned. We have not focused on the message of salvation and grace coming down to us. We've been so focused on nitpicking and pointing out the pagan traditions, which again, I'm not saying that the that, that these are bad things. It's good to point out these things within good historical context that's not the two Babylons. Please understand this. But we're missing the bigger point that we have Christian roots that point towards Christianity 101 where we came from before I before our eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit to Torah. And that by having Christ as the center of Christmas is not a bad thing. You can throw away the tinsel, the mistletoe, the trees, the yule logs, absolutely burn it all. Couldn't care less. But we need to minister the understanding that, yes, he was born at some point. Not December 25th, maybe not December 11th, uh, I mean, September 11th, maybe not in tabernacles. You know, we can throw all sorts of calculations out there. While the holiness of God is very paramount and that we are to exemplify that, we need to show grace to our new covenant brethren and we need to unite with them more than ever in these darkening days around the message of salvation, around what the Bible says. I want to take a moment now and I want to address the idea and the power of the Christmas story in Luke 2. While we may consider it to be a very simple thing, it is not simple for me as you can clearly hear today. My late father, six years ago, the last words he ever spoke before he passed away suddenly on Christmas Eve, which is today, um, was Luke 2. He witnessed the gospel of salvation to someone in our family who was not saved. And when that happened, Torah didn't matter at that moment. What mattered was the love of Christian brethren who came for, for eight hours from 8 o'clock in the evening till 3 o'clock in the morning to clean up food, pray for us, the entire pastoral staff of two churches coming over to help counsel us, and filling up police reports. You know, the love of Christ mattered that night. Not were we observing Hanukkah. Not... Did you have a pagan Christmas tree that I was celebrating with my family? No. The impact of the gospel message is what mattered. That my father died a hero proclaiming the gospel to someone who didn't know about Jesus Christ, that he came to save them from their sins. We play around with our Hanukkah and Purim traditions. So do the Christians. We're no different than them. And we need to take the Bible more seriously than we do now, where the message of salvation is concerned more than ever. And with that, I leave you with a Shabbat Shalom, a belated happy Hanukkah, and a Merry Christmas. Be blessed, everyone. Study the word. Bask in his grace and his salvation. Shalom.